has to be extended. Color doesn't matter. And I said, so what do you do at a, at a stoplight? <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Like, you recognize it, I recognize it. If Jesus was black, you'd have a real problem. But yeah. because Jesus is white, you're fine. Hey everybody, thank you for tuning in to Raise Your Voice. This is part two of my discussion with Pastor Tassiana Nixon on colonization of Jesus Christ. You know, and like you said, your power, like your platform. And that's what bothers me greatly about leaders who have a stage or who have influence and do not use their influence to help those that don't have that platform or that stage. And if, like we have these multi-million dollar structures in impoverished communities and we don't have any services to help them. But as you said, let's continue to tell them pie in the sky theology, which says, oh, hold on, one day it's going to get better and you're going to be all right. When Jesus actually said, I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly, mm-hmm. not down the road, yeah. you know, not 25 years from now, I want them to live life to their fullest, but on the way um, as we usher in the kingdom. Yeah. So, yeah, go ahead. No, I was like, I mean, he says, you will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. So like we're, I need that God. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no? that's right. And we're not giving that God. That's because right. Because we're not slave. That's that right. God is not slave. That's right. But some people have that God because some people um, who have the power are like, man, this is great. All I have to wait for is heaven. Yeah. You know, I don't have to be concerned about um, gun violence. I don't have to be concerned about, um, you know, drugs or those types of things because where I am and where I live, you know, it's good. All I need, the next step now is to go to heaven. But the the, the counter to that is who is your neighbor and Mm -hmm. is your neighbor living just as well as you are living? And therefore, how can you extend your privileges and your advantages to other people? How does Jesus become the God of the oppressed and the marginalized? And it's the, it's begins, I firmly believe, Jamie, with our understanding of the image of God. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Because, and I'm yeah. glad you brought that up because this this I had this question for you. And I think you're gonna hit it. I think you're going there, but I want to ask you this question. So what do you say to people who say, uh, it doesn't matter what color Jesus is, as long as he died for my sins, that's all that matters. I can't curse on here, right? Yo, you can curse. You can curse. Please curse. Yeah. That's crazy. You know yeah. what I mean? It's like when people, I mean, someone said it the other day. They said um, to me, they're like, well, you know, you know, Pastor Nixon, color doesn't matter. And I said, so what do you do at a, at a stoplight? <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Like you recognize it. I recognize it. If Jesus was black, you'd have a real problem. But yeah. because Jesus is white, you're fine. Mm-hmm. Your problem is that there is color. Mm-hmm. Not that there's not, because you know there's color. Yeah. Your problem is what color other people, and like recognizing that, 
one of my one of my favorite authors, um, her name's Christina Cleveland, and she and I said it earlier. She always says, "The image of God in me greets the image of God in you." Mm-hmm. And so she, I remember her asking her, like, "Okay, Christina, like you always say this, like, what what's the deal with this?" And she said, "Tasi, recognizing your picture of God is vital to how you interact with others. Mm-hmm. I believe in a God who is gracious and a God who is good and a God who is kind, and He doesn't withhold that from people who look like me." I'm going to treat you accordingly, Jamie. Yeah. Yeah. But if I believe in a God who withholds and a God who cares for the least of these, but like only on Sabbath, you know, or only at Thanksgiving, then that's how I'm going to interact with you. Yeah. When I see you at Walmart looking at lipsticks and you're not dressed in the way that I'm dressed, I may call, I may call or, you know, make the manager aware that you might be stealing. Why? Because I don't see God in you. Mm-hmm. My God doesn't pertain to you. Right. He he doesn't he doesn't inhabit the space that you're in. Yeah. And so for the person who says, oh, you know, it doesn't matter what color he is. If he was black, would it matter? Yeah. Your response is yes, then you got a problem. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, and not just black, black with an afro. You know, like, because I'm not feeling this uh, Eurocentric black Jesus right. that they put with the wavy hair, the, right. the wavy perm, slick back. I said, is that wool? <laughs> Y'all touched wool before? That's not wool. That's right. Yeah, man. I, I tell people, I'm like, you know, if they like, oh, I don't see color. We're all just, there's only one race, the human race. I'm like, no, I need you to see color. I said, that's the problem. You yeah. need to see color. And you need to see how color um, affects everything that happens, not just in America, but around this world. You know, you, if you look, the darker you are, it's like you are the international boogie boogie person. Mm-hmm. You are the lower on the totem pole. And how does that happen? You know, how does how does beautiful dark skin become equated to something that is evil, dumb, and violent? And someone create that narrative, and then how do you? And then not only did you create the narrative about dark skin, someone created a narrative about white skin, mm-hmm. that white is pure, white is smart, white is intelligent, white is right. Um, there was a study um, Anderson Cooper did, and they had these children, and you've probably seen it, and they put images of a toddler from like white, you know, in different shades all the way to dark. And they asked um, each child, must have been about six years old, maybe from five to seven. And they said, tell me which one is the bad child. And they all pointed to the dark one. Like they said, so which one is the dumb child? They all pointed to the dark one. Which one is the smart child? And they all pointed to the lightest one, the white one. And, you know, it really pained me because this is what the church does. Yeah. And this is how the church has conditioned my daughter's brains to believe in that white is right. And I have to go super far and I have to be intentional about showing them that black is beautiful as well. Because every children's Sabbath school lesson. Yes, Jamie, talk about it. <laughs> is printed with a white image of Jesus on the cover. And from the moment they can start processing and seeing things, they've already in their brains have been conditioned to believe that Jesus is a European from Italy that 
walks around and feels and that he's he's Caucasian. Yeah. And, and on the, I remember being given a uh, like a, a post up stand, one of those slide up stands mm-hmm. for evangelism campaign. The conference, you know, that was for they they were giving them all out. And the, I pulled up the picture and it is white Jesus with a white girl. And I looked at this thing and I said, what am I going to do with this? And I remember going to my, my conference administrators and handing it back to them. And they're like, oh, you need this. And I said, no, I don't. I was like, this is actually highly disrespectful. I was like, because I can't bring a white Jesus with a white girl into a space that is fully black. Yeah. And they said, well, why not? And I'm looking at these brown people and, and saying to myself, Jamie, you're co- they're colonized. They're colonized. Yeah. And all they really genuine, and I don't want to say they, all they really genuinely care about, but all they really genuinely care about are how many people I baptize from that space. Yeah. And if those people aren't giving enough money, we're probably going to shut down the program. Yeah. And these people don't have any money. So, so <laughs> you know what I mean? Like we're, we're funding everything from, from our church. Yeah. Well, there realized how important that mission was. Right. But even the white people at my church recognized this is not something we can bring to Trenton, New Jersey. Mm-hmm. And in all honesty, we don't even want it in our church. Yeah. Because we don't want this image being perpetuated to our children. Yeah. Because it will disrupt their image of God. It'll mm-hmm. disrupt their 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 um, concept of who He is, and that will affect how they interact with people on a daily basis. Yeah. That's right. That's right. And, you know, the, the big thing about Christianity and, you know, na- nationalism um, within America is about assimilate, become mm-hmm. like us, mm-hmm. think like us, and you'll be able to get by. But the moment you stop thinking like us and acting like us, we hold you back. And it's the same problems that Jesus went through yeah. with the scribes and the Pharisees. They were mad at him because he spoke to publicans and sinners. Mm-hmm. He ministered to people who could not give him anything back in return. Yeah. Yeah. Counterculture. And um, man, I'm praying, man, I'm so grateful for people like you like, <laughs> and the other people, because finally this stuff is becoming a reality and it needs to be put in, not just in black spaces, because as you said, the people that I found that have a lot of problems with black Jesus are mm. black people. Oh yeah. Oh, Jamie. <laughs> I mean, I was having a conversation with a family members the other day and then they were like, Tussie, black people can be racist. And I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, are you, I was like, no, you're kidding. Like you're, you're kidding. You're joking with me right now. <laughs> and they're like, no, black people can be racist. I've seen so many black people be mean to other people. And I was like, do you understand that it's, it's like, it's systematic? And they're like, right. what do you mean systematic? What do you, what do you mean? Right. I'm just like, wow. Like this, these are black, like this is what they believe. Yeah. This is what they believe because this is the only God that they've seen, Jamie. Yeah. This is the only God that they've seen. And assimilation destroys culture. It mm-hmm. destroys culture. Mm-hmm. It obliterates culture. And what Christianity has done is is it has obliterated culture. And and Satan has co-opted this space in order to destroy the image of God. 
Because right. he knows if the if the image of God is destroyed, we're going to interact differently. That's right. Destroy and divide us, mm-hmm. you know, and to have us separated, and and to have us majoring in minors and oh, missing, drums. Yeah, and missing out on the paralytic that's lying outside the gate, like missing out on the widow who dropped her two mites in the in the bucket but yet still we have no services for that widow like i hate when people use that story as an example to say oh look this lady gave the last that she had all right if jesus was proud of this lady giving the last that she had why did he curse the temple you know he's cursing it because you're taking this woman's money mm-hmm. and she's a poor widow and you have no services for her but once you because this is the thing right tossley that once you start preaching a countercultural christ you start messing with money. Yeah. You start, messing with, you start messing with money. You start messing with institutions. Mm-hmm. And that is the fear. The fear is that once you become countercultural and you're talking about the injustice that this system is doing towards poor people, people don't want you around. And that's why they always try to kill Jesus because Jesus was not safe. Mm-mm. Like you said, that man went into a church on a Sabbath morning and flipped over the communion table. <laughs> it was like, he was like, y'all ain't going to do no communion here. No. Today. <laughs> Kicked that joint over and came in with the whip. Like, if, you know, if that didn't count culture. Show up at your church on Saturday morning, start flipping things and start hitting people with some whip. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, they'll fire me and kick me out in a heartbeat, man. And I think the reason why, you know, you know what, you know, my experience then. From at Andrews, the the big problem was because I wasn't safe. I didn't preach a safe message on their campus. I ruffled some feathers and caused some waves. And so what happened after that was, let's create a narrative about, like somebody said, um, I think it was actually the provost of somebody at the school, first of all, called me a controversial speaker. And then Somebody on my Facebook said, uh, you are the most racist person that has ever lived. And I'm like, really? Like, you never heard of Hitler? You've never heard of, um, like, <laughs> you never heard of Bull Connor? Like, I'm the yeah. most racist. Yeah, you're the worst one. <laughs> <laughs> of all. But that's what happens when you're counterculture. So I can imagine as you go further and as you vocalize and as you talk about the things that you're talking about, that you are going to be um, ridiculed, ostracized, and, um, you know, just try to not have you speak anywhere. People are going to find ways to, like, blackball you. But just remember, uh, you're taking after Jesus, the real Jesus, because he was blackballed. Every time he went to church and preached, they tried to kill him. <laughs> they were like, Whoa. And not just uh, not just like stab him. They were like trying to throw him off a cliff. Like, let's right. really kill him. It's like, you know, what's so interesting about that story, Jamie, is that even in their anger, he was still not their focus. That's right. And so, again, it goes back to the reality that like when your image of God is distorted, you're not even you're not going to see him. Mm-hmm. He had already passed through their midst. That's, That's right. That's right. So he wasn't even, even in their anger, he still wasn't their focus. Yeah, that's right. That's and so powerful. people get mad at you and they get mad at me. They're not really mad at us. That's right. You know what I mean? Because the image of God is not their focus. Yeah. The institution is their focus. Precisely. And the perpetuation of that culture. Yeah. 
So it's mm-hmm. like, I mean, whenever people, I remember I, I walked in, um, because my, my first, my first thought was to just focus in on culture care, which I am still doing, but specifically on, um, the influence of Eurocentric Christianity in the destruction of culture. That was going to be my influence and uh, my concentration for my thesis. And I remember presenting this to my professor who is from Austria. Mm-hmm. And he was like, so what's so bad about <laughs> Eurocentric Christianity? <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I mean, mind you, this man's been a missionary. I mean, he's, he's brilliant. Yeah. But he was just like, he just... He, did, he, he wasn't aware. But as we began to speak in dialogue, he became increasingly disturbed. Mm-hmm. And I paused and I said, you know, how, like, how, how are you doing? Yeah. He's <laughs> like, you're right. As he said, he's like, he was like, you're right. Yeah. He's like, I've never, I've never thought about this before. Mm-hmm. And so it, it helped me realize, you know, there are some people who genuinely want to learn. There are some people who genuinely want to lay down their power and position and understand the gospel more fully. I mean, he, he's someone who has again, pastored and served and is now in the leadership department and teaching folk. And so his focus, and you can see, I was like, he cares about the image of God. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's that's a great point because I know that we we've used the term whites. And when we use, when I use that, I'm not talking about all white people or, Mm -hmm. I'm not talking about all Europeans. I think there are some that want to learn, some that um, that understand whiteness, white privilege, white supremacy. I work with a lot of them in Dallas that we're um, with the uh, with the fight that we do for equality and just changing policies and laws. But there are there is a group that becomes very dismissive when we start talking about race, when we oh, start yeah. talking about the effects of it, and that is the group that we really need to take the time to listen, to mm-hmm. just hear. Like, these are not just fables or something that we're making up because we don't have nothing else to do. No, this is really affecting the world, the gospel, and reaching people where they need to be reached. Yeah. Like, we don't need to just reach privileged people. We really need to focus what Jesus did. Jesus worked with the people on the margins And as you said, he was shifting the margins by Mm. telling them, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. You know, he really spoke to them and gave them power. But right now, as you said, we keep, if we don't start addressing this and start talking about it, it's only, you know, I don't want to say this. I hope it doesn't happen, but the institution is going to fall apart. The people are just going to leave, which is happening right now. I mean, and as you know, we kind of say like, it's going, it's like, no, it has come. The time has arrived in which we look around and we see that the gospel is void of grace. Yeah. That's right. That's right. And and the grace that we do anticipate, you know, the grace that we do attempt to speak on is not one that is costly. Mm -hmm. So we're, we're not doing the gospel justice. What, yeah. So we're not doing the people, the, the people of God justice. Yeah. Yeah. Because the- we want to so badly stay within this safe space. And one of my favorite um, chronicles of Nar- Narnia, and they refer to Aslan and they said, he is not safe, but he is good. Mm. And when I think of God, I, that's the God I, I, I need to know. 
Mm-hmm. You know, that's the God I know. Those people who um, we refer to as the least of these, you yeah. know, need to know. Yeah. You know, but that's mm-hmm. not the God we feel safe speaking about. Yeah. You know, he's just good all the time. And, and we, you know, we hear these songs like God bless Hillsong and Elevation and all of yeah. them. Just like, gosh, can I hear a song about brokenness? And can we just stay in that? Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's always a, there's always resolution. Mm-hmm. And that's not the gospel that I understand because I'm a black woman. Yeah. That's you know, right. There's, there's no resolution for me here. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's like, you know, you sing a song, there's one song desert. This is my prayer in the desert when all that's within me feels dry. And then the chorus is like, but I will sing praise. Like, no, right. I'm still in the desert. <laughs> that's right. I'm still in the, man, my desert is like liquor store after liquor store and gun violence. You know what I mean? I, right. And like, that's the gospel that needs to be preached, Jamie. Yeah. And understanding yeah. that there, there, there is no resolution for certain people on this earth. Yeah. Yeah. That's a hard gospel to preach, Definitely. but that's the gospel that Kendrick is, is speaking on. That's right. You know, that's the gospel that Nipsey shared. Like that's the gospel that you hear when you listen to our culture. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, so and, him. And also, I'm with you. I mean, we could we could do a whole we could do a part two to this podcast. <laughs> Let's talk about music because the other thing too that I feel which is so much needed um, in our churches, if we want to do social justice work, we have to learn how to lament, and oh, we yeah. have to learn how to stay places and weep for those who um, who are being you know marginalized and who are being um, uh, you know affected by policies and laws and just and just and like you said stay there and weep because when you start weeping for something then you can get up and then you can start doing the work that needs to we don't know how to do that we don't know how to focus on that and our society has trained us to not do that and so like we only have reality tv shows about the wealthy and the super rich or you know this this narcissistic attitude with buy more, spend more to make yourself happy. It creates this privileged mindset. And it also with this gospel of prosperity, gospel of privilege that has this name it and claim it when you come to church. Mm-hmm. Give me my blessing. Let me get this. And there are no more songs about, you know, how do we be a neighbor? How do we fight for justice? Our music and how we, our music and our preaching has created this self-centered um, Christianity mm-hmm. that is totally opposite of what Jesus was about. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I know, I know one um, name's Michelle uh, Odame, and she is a phenomenal singer and artist. And she did a whole series of songs on like. One of her songs is like from the view of Herod. <laughs> wow. And I remember like when she said that, I was like, sis, like, <laughs> I'm hot, like I'm excited for it. Right. I'm here for it. Right. I've never heard from Herod. Yeah. I've yeah. never heard from Herod. I've never, I've never thought about Herod's viewpoint because I haven't been conditioned to. Yeah. Conditioned to. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it, it messes me up um, as, as, um, like I, you know, I would say, and my friend Brittany White um, pointed this out to me, and she was like, "Tell me of a 
any time during the week when you can get a bunch of black people together in one room from all ages, all education levels, all financial levels, all together in one room and anytime. And she was like, the only time is on a Saturday or a Sunday. And she said this, she said that when we get together with all that power in the room, we never talk about advancements for people who are not here. All we do is come in, sing songs, hear a sermon, and we go right back to where we are. And that's, there's something gravely wrong with that. And that's when, like, I see, as you pointed out, the colonized, the colonizing Christ, mm-hmm. that this colonizing Christ creates this passive, docile um, individual that just says, hey, as long as my life is good, I don't need to worry about anybody else or anything. But on the flip side, as I'm here in Dallas, there's a church, First Baptist or whatever it's called, and Robert Jeffers, he's the pastor of that church. And I went there, you know, as I'm visiting different churches and make no mistake, that church let everybody who goes there knows that it is a red church, that Mm -hmm. they vote Republican, and that if you are here, you're going to be Republican. And I just thought that was amazing because they're not safe. Mm -mm. They're not safe. They're telling their people like, yo, I'm a vote Republican. Robert Jefferson is always on TV supporting Donald Trump. I mean, he's got a um, he's got one of the biggest churches in downtown Dallas with a walkway, a skyway that goes from one street across to another street, which is crazy because they don't let other churches do that. Mm. Um, The city doesn't let that, but they have the power to do that. But he was basically I mean, it was red all over the sanctuary. He is a strong Donald Trump supporter, strong Donald Trump supporter. But when you go to black churches, it's very safe. It's like, hey, please go vote. You know, and then you have some people who say, um, you know, you have some people who say, I don't believe in voting because God is in control and all that. stuff. And that's and that's and that's what we've been taught. That's what we've been taught to just sit back and let things happen to you Mm -hmm. because God is going to save you. So you could die and live in poverty whilst people in another zip code are living great because they choose their politicians. They choose their officials. They know what they want and they still go to church. And but we've been taught that's not Christ like like, you know. Yeah. And there goes their colonizing Christ. Again, it goes back to that image of God, Jamie, like. You believe in a God who is docile. You you, You believe in a God who is uninvolved. And that's the God that you perpetuate. So in many ways, we are just per- perpetuating the co- colonizing Christ. Like that's what we perpetuate when we don't address our image of God. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so we come to church and we're cool with like hanging out and being around each other, but I don't see a God who seeks the advancement of those around me. Yeah, that's right. So that gospel doesn't pertain to me. Right. Wow. Tasi, yo, you blew my mind. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for like... Thank you for bringing um, this reality to the forefront. Is there, are there any like uh, closing comments or anything you want to say? I know you said so much and people are going to have to like pause this podcast and pick it back up, but uh, anything you want to share with the folks? I mean, like just take the time to ask yourself, how do I, how does the image of God in me greet the image of God in you? Mm. You know, I think that's very important. 
um, we serve a God who's an Afrofuturist. I'm mm. a firm believer in that. That's that's my image of God. It's a God who cares about our past, he cares about our present, and he calls us to to co-author our futures. Mm-hmm. And so we are at a turning point in our communities where we have the opportunity to co-author the stories of our communities with Christ. He's calling us to work alongside him. And I firmly believe this is not a time where we can't address how we, how we do that. Like we can't address, we can't not address our image of God because people need to meet him. Yeah. And they need to meet him through us. Yeah. That's powerful. That's powerful. Tasi, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for uh, blessing my listeners and please keep on doing what you're doing. And this won't be the last time we're going to come back because we, we need to unpack this a lot more. And I want to know a lot more about what you're, um, what are some of the things that you're engaging in? You know, um, also please, if there's a way somebody might want to contact you mm-hmm. or they might want to talk a little bit more about this, you want to share maybe your email address or something. Yeah. Um, my email is my first name. So Tassiana at me.com, me.com and Instagram. Um, then that's also just, I got Instagram so early that I have my actual name. So it's just Tassiana. Um, so yeah, hit me up there and yeah, let's continue the conversation. All right. Sounds good. There you have it. Tassiana Nixon, pastor, leader, activist, um, and just overall a great person. Tassiana, thank you for being on today. Welcome. All right. White Jesus, what do we do with him? He's been haunting the church for years, showing up in our evangelistic series, he's on the cover of our quarterly lessons, he's in our institutions, and even in our homes. There is no escaping the man. You turn on the TV, and there he is with all his splendor and holiness, looking down on us and ready to redeem us from our sinful condition. There's no denying that the image of white Jesus supports and fuels white supremacy. I mean, if the most powerful being in this world is white, then anything on earth that resembles him must be powerful as well. White Jesus supports the idea that whitey will always come to save the day. After all, it's white Jesus with the myriad of angels coming to redeem us from ourselves in this world. It's the same idea that's depicted in so many television shows of mighty whitey people coming to save the day. Who can forget the opening credits of Different Strokes when Mr. Drummond picks up these two black boys from the inner city and takes them to his mansion, or recently seeing the movie Green Book walk away with the Oscar. Mighty Whitey Jesus encourages the idea that white is right, and white is holy, pure, and better. The opposite of that is frequently criticized and demonized solely for being different. The question remains on the fact is how can the church continue to promote and print an image of Jesus that is historically, geographically, and theologically incorrect? How are we okay with conditioning the minds of children to believe that Jesus looks like a brunette with blue eyes? The way we view Jesus informs our theology, and our theology informs our sociology. White Jesus is okay because it isn't a problem for the dominant culture. Whites are fine with him because he looks like them and he makes them feel good about themselves. And he is welcome in their homes and churches. 
It is not a concern to some of them that people of color have to continually embed in the minds of their children that their hair and skin color is beautiful. If we keep allowing white Jesus to take hold of the church, then we will never see the equality that we so desperately need in these times. And until we have an honest dialogue about race, an honest dialogue about white supremacy and how it has taken over our church and our society, then how do we expect to join hands and to find ourselves true diversity within our church? And so these are just some thoughts for you to ponder on, to think about, and hopefully have a discussion about. But once again, I thank you for tuning in. Please remember to subscribe, leave comments, and your feedback. And until next time, please continue to raise your voice.